Well, we have one more Sunday, next Sunday, um, with the Ten Commandments, and we're going to, it's a little bit of a strange order, because today is the last week that we're looking at one of the commandments, but we're looking at number nine, because last week we looked at eight and ten. You follow? I barely follow, and I'm the one who set it up. So, today we are talking about the ninth commandment. So, today... I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. These are the words that God spoke to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, verse two through 16. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that you spoke, that you gave to your people Israel thousands of years ago, but Lord, you give them to us as well. Lord, help us to hear the message that you have for us. Lord, help us to live faithfully as we obey you, as we show our love and faithfulness to you in response to your gracious gift. Lord, as we study your words today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks to Walt Disney, one of the world's most famous liars is Pinocchio. Pinocchio is based on the 19th century Italian tale of this wooden puppet who was created by the puppet maker, uh, the toy maker, Geppetto. Now, Pinocchio longed to be a real boy, um, but he struggled with telling the truth and each time that he would lie, his nose would grow a little bit longer. Well, now in the real world of the 21st century America, I would say there are three, you know, this is not a formal scientific survey, but there are three of probably the least trusted um, professions that are out there. I would say somebody in the media, a politician, and a used car salesman. Now, the used car salesman, those, the, the poor, unfortunate used car salesman, by the way, I sold cars for like a month, and I was terrible at it, and I hated it. Um, but used car salesmen have had a bad reputation for a number of years now. Now, even though most, truthfully, most used car salesmen, new car salesmen, saleswomen, all the people who do that are trustworthy, um, upstanding members of society. However, they are infamous for the shady antics and tactics of those who want to rip people off, who will say anything to make a sale. Well, at this point in 2019, um, people tend to see, you know, kind of the sleazy used car salesman as a, as a bit of a joke. You know, they have the plaid suit, they have the gold chains and things like that. However, if you mention the media, people just tense up and they get irritated. I mean, anybody else, you just, you hear that, whether, no matter what direction you lean, you hear media, mainstream media, and you just start to get irritated and stressed out. Words like fake news, bias, misinformation, and just straight up liars come to mind. But it wasn't always this way, was it? Uh, From 1962 to 1981, Walter Cronkite 
was the anchor of CBS Evening News. Anybody remember what they, what they called him? The most trusted man in America. Imagine anybody on the news today being called the most trusted man or the most trusted woman in America. But Walter Cronkite was the, the most trusted man in America. He was there for these huge moments of American history and he broadcast the news. And what he did was he would stand, sit, sit there. He would sit there and he would read the news and that was it. He would say what happened and he would maybe have some kind of emotional response to it, but he would simply report the news. So he was the most trusted man in America. Well, if we're having this, this contest to see who are the least trusted people in America, um, possibly the winner of that could be just your vague politician. Most politicians seem to be willing to say anything to get elected, whether they plan to follow through on it or not, whether they're able to follow through on it or not, whether they even believe what they are saying or not. But again, this was not necessarily always the case. Although politicians are infamous for being untrustworthy, think of George Washington. George Washington is the most famous political leader in America's history, and he was actually known for just the opposite of being untrustworthy. Growing up, many of us were taught the story of George Washington and, and the cherry tree, right? So when George was six years old, he was given a hatchet, and for whatever reason, young Georgie chopped down his dad's prized cherry tree. And I'm pretty convinced that's what he looked like as a six-year-old, right? <laughs> so, so he chopped down his dad's prized cherry tree. Well, his father valued honesty above, above many other things, and he had instilled this in young George. So when his father asked about the tree, George, what happens to the tree? George uttered those famous words, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. Well, we're told that his father was so proud of young George and so pleased with his honesty that he said these words, Glad am I, George, that you killed my tree, for you have paid me for it a thousandfold. Such an act of heroism in my son is more worth than a thousand trees. Well, as you probably know, that story is has almost no chance of actually being true. Um, when George Washington died in 1799, um, although he was a respected, you know, he was a general who led us through the, the revolution, he was our first president, and there was this great respect for him, most people didn't know a whole lot about his character and what kind of a person he was. Um, well, there was a biographer and a pastor evangelist named Mason Locke Weems, and he decided that it was important for the legacy of George Washington to live on and for people to know more about his character and what kind of a person he was. So he wanted to make George, not only for people to know about him, but that he could actually become a role model for our young nation and for the young people of our nation. So he told us the story of the cherry tree. Now, the story goes that you know he, he printed this book in, it was like 1801 or something, and then it was the fifth edition, this story showed up in the book, and what he says is there was this elderly woman who told the story of what had happened to George when he was young. Probably entirely made up, but it was a, it was a good idea because it's you know kind of like with, with a myth, a myth is not only a story of something that may or may not have happened, most likely didn't happen, but there's generally some kind of a lesson to be learned from it, some kind of a moral tale um, to be learned from it. So they gave us this lesson, they gave us this moral tale of, of young George Washington. His legend was born and it was accepted as fact and now we know George Washington as a man who was the definition of integrity. Now, I would say there's probably two reasons why this story has stuck around, well maybe three. One is it's just a fun, entertaining story. Another is, well, 
it would appear that George Washington really was a man of integrity and, and really was a great man, so it would fit with what he did. But a third reason why this story has stuck around and, and was really big, you know, 18th, 19th centuries, is because they did not have a profession that we now have today, the fact checker. Today we have many, many, many fact checkers out there. Now the goal of these fact checkers is, is good. They, they, the, the goal, what they're supposed to be doing, um, they're supposed to do their, their background research and then they look into the claims that are made and they say, well, are these accurate or not? We can look at, look at history and we can look at the things that happened and we can decide whether what people are saying is true. So when you have politicians who are claiming their own greatness or their opponent's incompetence, then we can look into it, we can look into the facts. Or when you have debates about cell phone towers, like we have those debates in Germantown right now about whether they should be next to a school or not. You can look into some facts on that. Or of course, there's the big question, did Marilyn Manson play Paul Pfeiffer on the Wonder Years? Looks just like him, it wasn't him. It wasn't him at all. But that's another one of those fact check kind of things. You have Snopes and you have these other places and, and, and various websites and newspapers and they all look into it. So they do their research and hopefully after presenting some facts, they come up with a solid answer, whether the statement was true or not. Now the truth is when you're looking at something, whether it is true, whether it is factual or infactual, there is sometimes a spectrum somewhere along the path say, okay, well how true was it? Um, so a lot of these fact checkers will come up with, a, with their own entertaining scales. So one of them uses Pinocchios to decide. So there's this fact checker, let's look at the next slide here, the fact checker, and from one to four Pinocchios, how honest was this statement that was made? Well, another one that I liked uses the truthometer, and it has a spectrum. So it goes from true to mostly true, to half true, to mostly false, to false. But then of course, if it is just an out and out lie, the worst one of all, their official rating is pants on fire. <laughs> I love that one. Um, so these organizations provide a service, but here's the question. Who is going to fact check the fact checkers? That's what we run into a lot, right? So who is holding them accountable to make sure they are being honest in what they are reporting? What bias or agenda might, might they be coming in with? Which facts are they highlighting really big and which other ones are they ignoring or even just throwing in the trash? See, if debates on school shootings and climate change could be resolved just by looking at the facts, we would have had them figured out years ago. But the fight continues. Well, we look to fact checkers and we admire people like George Washington and Walter Cronkite because we value honesty as people. We value truth in a world of lies, in a world of distortions, in a world of misinformation. I would even say that we long for the truth. But as much as we demand the truth of others, we often struggle with it ourselves. Like the rest of the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment of you, of you shall not bear false witness, God gave us that commandment because we need it. In Exodus 20:16, God spoke these words. You shall not give false testimony against your brother. Or in another familiar translation, you shall not bear false witness, is maybe how a lot of us learned it back in the day. Now specifically, what the ninth uh, commandment, almost said the ninth testament, what the ninth commandment is talking about is testimony in court. Okay, you're having some kind of a trial going on, whether it is you know, a, a civil court or whether it is the, the church court and things like that. So it is dealing with giving testimony. Now, 
And actually, if you read further on, this isn't the only time that it talks about giving honest testimony when you are, when you are in court with somebody, when someone is, is charged with a crime. Uh, further in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you, you read more things about specific rules of, of how you need to go about this. Now, this was really important for the people back then um, because in these centuries long ago, they didn't have the technology that we have today. They didn't have, you know, crime scene investigators. They didn't have DNA that they knew of. They didn't have, couldn't test for fingerprints. They didn't have video and audio recordings and things like that. So the main way of knowing if a crime was committed would be if you had witnesses there to see it. Best if you have two to three witnesses. But that's what you have to count on is that somebody saw what happened. So this idea that we, you cannot bear false witness and even the punishments that go along with bearing false witness was vital in their society at that point. But again, like the other commandments that we have, like the other nine commandments that God gave to us, it was very important for that specific thing, but there was also a deeper truth for the people back then and for us today as well. There was a heart issue that needed to be dealt with as well. It wasn't just that God was saying, well, just to make sure that the court system goes smoother, make sure people tell the truth. No, there was a deeper problem, there was a deeper need that God was addressing with the people there and that he is addressing with us as well, in which we then see Jesus once again talk about directly in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 33 to 37 Jesus is speaking to the people, and he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, the purpose of this was not for Jesus to say, anytime you swear an oath, well, you took wedding vows, well, that's wrong. You went to court, well, no, you cannot, you cannot show that. You cannot say that. It's not that, that vows, and, vows and oaths are inherently bad. See, for some people, what was going on is that people would say, well, if you swear by an oath, then you have to tell the truth. Otherwise, well, I didn't, I didn't swear that I was going to tell the truth. I'm, I'm not bound by it. I wasn't, I wasn't under oath. And this often happens for us today as well. Wait, I didn't, I didn't promise that I was going to do that. I, was, I, I planned to, but I didn't promise that I was going to. If a politician lies under oath, it's terrible. But you lie in a press conference, well, it's not that big of a deal. What we hear from Jesus is that instead of creating technicalities, because that's what people were doing, saying, well, I wasn't under oath. Instead of creating technicalities, as the book of James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. See, when we, when we start to feel that need to swear up and down, I swear to you, I promise you, I'm telling the truth, I, I, I really mean it. Or one that people will say without even thinking, I swear to God. the message that we're sending is this time, this time I mean it, this time you can trust me. The point of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount about honesty is that as Christians, we are called to live and to speak with integrity in all circumstances. When I was 
in seminary, one of my uh, professors was a guy named Chap Clark, and he um, is a, a great uh, professor and writer and speaker and pastor uh, specifically about youth ministry. And he wrote uh, this book that is called Hurt. And it is about uh, the world of teenagers, and it's, it's based on years of research and interviews that he did with students. So I wanna read just a little bit of this, this section he wrote about honesty. He said, I observed that the most regular defense offered for lying, especially to authority figures, parents, teachers, and coaches, was a perceived need to protect oneself or one's friends. In incident after incident, the most often reported reason for lying was to avoid being punished for doing something that in general, they did not believe was wrong. As research has shown, when students feel that an issue is none of their parents' business or that full disclosure would lead to excessive restrictions on their autonomy, lying is not just an option, but a virtual certainty. I rarely encountered a mid-adolescent who believed that lying was unethical. Mid-adolescents reshaped the idea of lying to the point where a justified deception, including an outright bald-faced lie, is not actually lying. Nearly every student admitted to lying regularly without remorse. Yet these same students actually believed that they were highly moral, ethical, and honest people. This is consistently confirmed by research. One study found that 85% of adolescents surveyed yes to the question, are you basically an honest person? Here's a typical string of logic that I heard over and over again. I lie, sure, so does everybody else. I'm an honest person though, and that's what really counts. Yeah. One day I was told by an athlete that when a coach looked him in the eye and asked him why he was late for practice, he made up a semi-plausible but fabricated story. As he told me what he had done, he made no attempt to conceal or even justify it to me. In fact, he shared it with me as if it were the most natural and normal thing in the world. When I pressed him, asking him how he could defend his deception, he looked at me with near amazement and said he would have made a big deal out of it, and it wasn't a big deal. He didn't deserve to know the truth. But you lied to him, I said. Isn't that wrong? Well, I didn't lie exactly. I just didn't think it was his business to know my business. Now, we can look at this and go, oh, man, teenagers. Wow. But I don't think this is just teenagers. I think this is a mindset that is common for adults as well. We lie for self-preservation. We lie to make ourselves look better. We lie to promote our own selfish ambitions. Or as we saw in that book just now, I don't think that I owe you the truth. Well, we see each of these lived out in scripture as well. King David, he lied to cover up his affair with Bathsheba. In the very first lie, the devil, told Eve, you won't die for eating that forbidden fruit. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, that couple who you know, were part of the early church there and they sold their property and they gave the money, but they gave half the money. And then they said, oh no, this is all the money. They wanted to look generous, they wanted to look impressive to other people. One of the interesting things about this passage, this, this section that we just read in that book, Hurt, is the idea that only certain lies are really lying or being dishonest. But the truth is I think that lies come in many different forms, deceit comes in many different forms. There's the obvious explicit lying, of course there's half-truths. It's like you know when you, when you hear in, in a court of law, um, you take that courtroom oath. You know, you put your hand on the Bible there and I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, 
and nothing but the truth. And then if you so wish, so help me God. But instead we technically tell the truth, but we do so very selectively. Well, just say, bum, bum, bum. Another common form of deception is one that we see a lot in politics, but I don't want to just single out politics and say, oh man, those guys are so messed up, because politics is just a reflection of who we are. We see it in our personal relationships as well. See, if I want to make someone look bad, if I want to criticize somebody and say how terrible of a person they are, I can criticize their character. I can say something nasty about them. But if I can catch them in their own words, if I can quote them directly, it's even stronger ammunition to make them look terrible. Now, often this happens when you pluck a single phrase out of something. You, somebody gives an hour-long speech and you take about a five-second snippet and say, see, that's what they said. Totally missing the point. It's that all-too-common practice of taking our words out of context. Now, it becomes blatant line when we intentionally twist their words to make them sound sinister, to make them sound like heartless, terrible people. Or we imply or even openly accuse them of things that we know aren't true. I mean, we'll see that sometimes going, well, you know, he said this, he must have meant bump, bump, bump. And I go, well, I know for a fact this person doesn't believe that. But we do that. We misrepresent not only their words, but we misrepresent their character intentionally. It's easy to find this in politics. As we, as we scour quotes, as, you know, if you have a, a least favorite politician and you, and you hear they made a speech, you go you, and, and you read it and you go, okay, what do they say here? What can I pull out of here? What is that juicy bit that will just reaffirm exactly what I thought about them? See, I knew it. I knew that's how that person was. But we do that with people as well. I can say, oh man, that's so terrible when people do that with politics. I won't tell you the story, but I've done that myself not just to a politician, but to a person. It's not my wife, by the way. Um, but I got to the point where I had decided what I felt about this person. And there was a, there was a bitterness there, and there was even a, even a loathing that was there. And I just waited. Every time this person spoke, every time this person stood up and said something, I was waiting for them to make a mistake. And I knew what they were gonna say because I knew what was in their heart. And I pulled apart every little single thing that they did, and I'd sit there and I'd talk to somebody else about it. See, this is what happened. It just confirmed everything terrible that I thought about them. I'm reassured once again that I'm right. Well, we face many challenges as a nation, but I would say that our unwillingness to be truthful and transparent is particularly destructive when we're caught lying, when we're caught doing something wrong, instead of admitting our mistakes and saying, yeah, I was wrong, I should not have done that. Instead, what we do is we look for other times that the other person has done the same thing or something close to it. So I can say, see, you're a hypocrite, it doesn't matter. Now, they very well might be a hypocrite, but it does still matter. Truth still matters. We see it every day that we live in a world of division a world that often encourages us to protect and promote ourselves before looking to other people. A world where not only is there no absolute truth, but where lying to get ahead is accepted and even expected. But God's word calls us to live differently. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood 
and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. something that I pray about a lot, something I, when we come here to worship and when, you know, throughout the week and especially here on a Sunday morning, I'm praying a lot and thinking a lot about the fact that we are the body of Christ, that we are one. Because we are the body of Christ, we are called to put off the old way. Yes, the way of this world is, is lying, is deceit. It started from the very beginning. But God is making us new and he's calling us to speak and to live truthfully. And part of that is just a realistic issue. God, you know, when God gives us his law, when he tells us to live a certain way, one is we want, to, we want to be faithful, we want to obey him, but we also need to trust him that it's not just completely arbitrary. God isn't saying, hey, don't lie to each other because yeah, I know it's effective, but I just don't want you to do it. See, God knows the short-term and the long-term repercussions of what happens when we lie and when we're caught in a lie. As truth is broken down, as trust is broken down, we end up living as fractured individuals instead of the unified body of Christ. And as the body suffers, as we suffer as individuals and as the body of Christ, the kingdom of God suffers and we end up standing in the way of the work of God. But again, God has offered us a better way. one of the things that we run into sometimes is say, okay, we're supposed to be honest. So I'm just being honest with you. I think you're acting like a jerk and I think you're a terrible person, but hey, I'm just being honest. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, then we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Instead of using our words to cover our mistakes or to puff ourselves up, we are called to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. I was reminded recently of this idea that we, we must speak the truth, but we need to do so in love. Yes, we can speak words that are honest and not intending to be rude, not intending to be nasty but I'm actually speaking them in love. Because that's a very different thing. You see the difference there? There's one thing to say, hey, don't be nasty when you're saying this, but to say, okay, if you're going to speak the truth, actually speak it in love. So now I don't remember where I first heard this list of questions, but I took a list of questions that someone else came up with and I kind of morphed it and changed it, and then I added a little bit to it today. So if we're thinking, okay, what does it look like for me to speak the truth in love to someone? And should I speak that truth right now? There's a few questions, a handful of questions to go through. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it actually going to make a difference? You know, because you say like, well, they just need to hear the truth. Well, but is it actually gonna make a difference to them or is it just gonna get them ticked off? Is right now the right time to share it? And then that big important question, am I the right person to share it? Who is going to benefit from me speaking up? Who is going to benefit from me saying these words? And whose glory am I seeking? And then finally, what am I really hoping to accomplish by speaking the truth right now? Obviously, this doesn't mean lying. This doesn't mean ignoring things, anything like that. But if we are compelled that I need to speak up, I need to say this thing right now, and I will tell you that is one thing I fall into. If that is my goal, I need to say, you know, 
Maybe I'm not the right person. Maybe now's not the right time. A recent study from the University of Arizona showed that the average American speaks 16,000 words a day. Now, there's been some debate that, you know, men speak 9,000 a day and women speak 18,000 a day or whatever it is, but I think that's kind of one of those where it's like, well, you know, it's a 5% divorce rate. How do we know that? Well, because everyone knows that. But this recent study did say the average person was like, men were like 15,500, women were like 16,500, which is a really negligible difference. So the average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. So the question is, how am I going to use those words? If I have 16,000 words a day, if I have 24 hours in the day, how am I going to spend those words that I have? As the people of God, we are called to speak and to live with integrity. We are called to speak and to live with integrity in a way that glorifies God and blesses others. We are called to speak the truth in love so that we, not just me, but so that we may grow to become in every respect the mature body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to be honest with you. Help us to be honest with each other. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Lord, help us to speak the truth in love so that others might be built up, so that we might be built up, so that your kingdom, so that your body might be built up. Lord, help us to take our eyes off of our own greatness and the fall and the, and the flaws of others. Help us to keep our eyes focused upon you. Lord, help us to know when we do need to speak words that are sometimes difficult, but words that are truthful. Lord, give us wisdom in that. Help us to speak words of encouragement. Lord, thank you for giving us the truth of the gospel. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us forgiveness. Help us to speak your truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.